the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Into the second hour, we propel ourselves. And it's good to have you along for the ride today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, Simone has come in to join us today. She, of course, works with the Republican women in Pulaski County. It's always good to have her here and uh, joining us. In fact, uh, before we go any further into this hour, let uh, us ask her to tell us how things went at the big meeting that happened on this last weekend with the second district. I didn't make it into the actual meeting, but okay. I went to the Mike Lindell event. Okay. And we got word during You went the to Moralton, okay. Right, that uh, Jennifer Lancaster uh, won. Right, she's so, the chairman now. Right, so that was great news. Um, we had a, Mike Lindell did a really great uh, talk. He's a, he's a fun person to be around. Mm-hmm. And uh, the event went great. It was packed. It was packed. And uh, didn't realize it was going to open it. One, so we didn't get there till two. The people were coming in from the meeting. Oh, wow. So it was like, it was pretty hectic all the way around, but they looked exhausted when they came in. Well, you had two things that happened that uh, were important. One, uh, it was in District 2 that they agreed to the use of paper ballots. Right. That's one thing that happened. And then what was the uh, what was the other big thing that happened? Jennifer Lancaster. Well, no, there was another... I'm trying to think there's another uh, issue that was dealt with, and uh, it's slipping my mind right now, but that's all right. But the paper ballot issue was a big one right? at that at that point. But uh, I'll you got it. a lot of yard signs for that. You got a lot of lo- yard that's signs yeah. for the paper ballot. Yeah, they were handing those out, so that was great. Okay. So what what is the move then for uh, the party? I know I'm kind of putting you in a – a chairman's spot to explain <laughs> it out to us but uh, you know what what are what are some of the things uh, you're wanting to do i mean as far as as the second district now you've got somebody who's a very big conservative in leading the group how how important is that well it's really important and what what's most important is she represents everyone so Rather than rather than any interest or anything, she represents our voice, which is great, and we need that. And she has a true conservative voice, so she's going to stick to those principles. And she's been involved in other issues that's proven herself to be effective. So she's she's got a lot of um, I want to say weight behind her because she's not a heavy person, <laughs> but she has a lot of force with what she does, and she's just a go getter. Okay. The other thing was closed primaries. Right, right. That's the other thing that you voted on. And I'm really happy to see that happening. You know, uh, as, as just as you're concerned, Ryan, I, you know, not asking you as Americans for Prosperity here, but are you happy to see that they're moving towards closed primaries? 
Well, um, that's going to be an interesting pivot because when you look at voter rolls in the state of Arkansas, you know, and I've been looking at this, there's been a lot more folks move into the unaffiliated, right. you know, space. Um, so the question needs to be as to why, why they're doing that. Uh, you know, they're become the unaffiliated from parties are becoming the largest party in the United States of America. Um, so do you, do I also think that uh, individuals should be able to jump in and, and skew as a political tactic uh, the the politi- the party selection of their candidates? No, I don't think that's ethical either. Uh, you know, this goes back to we can make laws and rules about all of this, and maybe you have to, but really it should be that I'm just not going to jump into, you know, I'm a, I'm a Republican, but I'm not going to jump into a Democrat primary just so that I can try to mess up their process as well. I think they should put up their best candidate. We should put up our best candidate. Right. It's one of the biggest, to be honest with you, one of the biggest differences between myself and Rush during the time that, you know, he did Operation Chaos. <laughs> That he wanted, yeah, you know, conservatives that. to move into and vote on the liberal side. And and I understand that was all legal. I mean, I, I, nothing illegal about it. But in the same, the same breath, I didn't want them trying to do it to us. Now, it was happening, and it was happening here in the state of Arkansas at the time. Uh, it would be nice if we could get to close primary so we don't have to worry about that and i understand some of the things that we got to watch out if we go to close primaries but if we want to get those middle voters we got to get out and talk to them about why being a republican is better than being unaffiliated or affiliated with the other side and a lot of people are conservatives whether they have that down as their affiliation or not and just being out in the community and talking to different events with, when I do damsel in defense, I meet a lot of people who are just they want to be or they're libertarian or they're but they're conservative leaning. They want the government out of their business. They do the right things. They follow the rules, and they want to be able to be successful, be left alone to prosper. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the greatest thing. And and that's where one of the things that we are going to do is try to do more outreach and and have committees for outreach. And we really need to go into segments that aren't in our comfort zone or, you know, aren't in our uh, zone that you would traditionally think of. I mean, we meet at the uh, Pleasant Valley Country Club, and some people are intimidated by that. Cue the monkeys. Right. You know, some (laughs) people are intimidated by going to a country club, you know. Yeah. And just regular everyday folk, you know, aren't exactly you know that's not their thing when you say oh we meet here you should come here with us or something and it's not because they don't agree with the policies it's because you know maybe they are shy of um maybe i don't have the clothing that i think i should wear to be at the country club it gets a bit cliquish yeah yeah it can get and you know and it doesn't i mean obviously i'm a what do you want to call it not an outcast but i'm an oddball so i fit in just fine i go in there smiling and everybody smiles back and um we work really well together so i i try to use that as a buffer zone for people to you know come join us everybody's welcome but we need to be more welcoming okay well let me come back to what you were talking about and that was being able to talk to people about uh from the conservative side of how we want the government out of your business so that you can pursue your individual freedom which brings me right into what Ryan Norris and his organization's talking about a new movement that they've got called 
reignite the American dream? Why don't you talk to us? Well, you know, the American dream is it goes all the way back to the founding. And it's on life support right now. And yeah. right now, you know, the other day I went to the grocery store. And um, I, I am where where I am in my socioeconomics is way greater than what I ever anticipated for myself. Okay. You know, and I'm standing there looking at the meat counter. They're trying to figure out breakfast foods because I'm a big breakfast man. Uh-huh. Love breakfast. And I'm sitting there looking and I'm seeing, you know, elders there. I'm seeing single moms there looking at the counter and thinking, you know, how in the world, if I'm struggling and I make above average for the state of Arkansas, how are these individuals on fixed incomes and on single parent salaries able to feed themselves? They're sacrificing things. They are sacrificing things. And this goes to inflation increases. This goes to the, the debt. And we're now seeing, you know, based on government getting involved even in the interest rates, this helped to collapse see, see, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. You know, and so the more government has getting involved to try to produce solutions, the solutions are worse than the sickness that we were originally going through. And so reigniting the American dream is just about that. It's about, you know, freedom. It's about opportunity and it's about prosperity. And no one knows how to solve their problems better than the individual person. And it kind of also pegs back to the conversation we were previously having that we have government making more decisions for us than we're able to make ourselves. Where we're getting educated, where we're getting, um, you know, where we're able to work, uh, where we're able to get our health care or what type of health care or even how much health care is being regulated by the government. And that's not right. We need to reclaim our freedom and ignite again the American dream to where it can be achievable by anyone. And the American dream isn't just a one-size-fits-all. This is the individual determining what they want in life. I've had friends that are millionaires that wish that they, that they weren't. They were like, you know, the stress of what I do, I just think I want to call it quits, and I would just love to have me a little trailer on the hillside in Arkansas with a couple of four-wheelers, and that's going to be that's that my American dream. So it's not a always aspiring to consume more in the American dream. It's about having what makes your heart content and being able to live in your your freedom. And so that's what a Reunite American Dream is about. You can go to uh, to AF, uh, at AFP Arkansas on Twitter and see a video by Emily Seidel, our uh, CEO of AFP, talking about this. You can also go to Arkansas AFP uh, on Facebook. And then uh, if you'd like, infoar at afphq.org is the email for us, and we'll email you more information about Reigniting the American Dream. But everyone is seeing that the American Dream is becoming more and more distanced from us. And we want to believe again in the American people to live their freedom to solve their problems, and government just keeps messing it up at nearly every turn. Does it does it drive you crazy with talking to young people? Because when I talk to young people, it drives me crazy, and I'll <laughs> tell you why. Because they want the American dream. Mm-hmm. They really want the American dream, but they want to kill everything that leads to the American dream. Right. Well, um talked about him quite a bit uh, today uh, in both segments, but G.K. Chesterton talks about how democracies tend to die from exhaustion. 
that people then turn around and be like, you know, this is so difficult at times. And again, I think some of that is government getting involved. That's what creates the exhaustion. And then people turn and try to find one strong man to run everything. And, and so there is, there are headwinds, you know, that that the youth have hit, you know, starting from 2008 and the housing, you know, real estate crisis that we had then and then going through COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Those are tough. But the solution isn't more government. But see, and that that's the problem, because it seems to me they've been taught in our public education system that. Well, the government has exponential amounts of money. All they got to do is bail me out. Right. And they think that's the way it happens. No. No. Whatever they give you, they're it's taking your money. they're t- well, they're taking a lot of flesh with it. Yes. Yes. I mean, the so right now the government either funds its these itself through okay, so small amount of collection on the on collection on taxes. We spend more money than we collect in taxes. And then they either Print money or borrow money. And both of those scenarios are not good for the American people. So whenever the COVID dollars came, they dumped all this money into the economy. Um, the supply was limited because they're also shutting down plants and things and saying you can't can't have those plants open because of COVID. Yeah, you, all you people can't work together. Yeah, you can't work together. So it, was, it constricted the supply. The demand was still what it was and then increased. And you... You see government intervention along the entire way. The supply chain issues are government intervention. They didn't say, hey, businesses, take necessary precautions and figure it out. They said, no, this is how you're going to do it. Uh, that. And then dumping money in. I mean, I received money from the government, and someone asked me, like, well, aren't you excited about it? I'm like, no, because what is that going to mean to my daughter? They're $32 trillion in debt. She's going to have to pay for it. Debt right now is $900,000 per taxpayer. That's how much you owe on the debt because we're a government of the people <laughs> and that means the only place they can come back to pay off debt is in your pocket that's right they'll take it out of your and pocket this and there are those that are arguing there there are those not necessarily conservative or uh you know center right even economists that are saying the debt has nothing to do with anything mm. i'm telling you the debt does have something to do. it's also a national security issue exactly you know so i think the bank thing act well, do we need to take a break? Yeah, we got to okay. take a break. You can see it in my eyes. Okay. <laughs> we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to we're going to speak uh, longer about this. Phone lines open, by the way, eight two three zero nine six five five zero one eight two three zero nine six five. You want to join in on the conversation? We'll let you do it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's go to Willie. Willie joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. What do you got for us, Willie? Dave, the American dream is achievable. But it doesn't involve affirmative action. Well, I agree, and we're trying to change that uh, at the at the Capitol right now with uh, SB seventy one. We're trying to get yeah. rid of affirmative action. It, it is amazing to us, or to me, all right, as a uh, a conservative, that uh, they're having a hard time voting this through. When affirmative action's been dead in California since the 80s, the 80s, all right? And we think of ourselves as being more conservative in California. In, in some areas, no, we're not. We're not. And, 
And, uh, you know, you're exactly right. I appreciate your call, Willie. Thanks so much here on the, the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, 25 minutes after 8. Phone number is 501-823-0965. We're talking about the American dream. Is the American dream still achievable? Uh, that, that's going to be a question right now. We'll give, give you the opportunity to get on and, and talk about this. I mean, I think that it definitely is. And part of it that I would point to, uh, that every, everyone who can and can find means is trying to come to the United States. You know, I've tr- had the benefit of traveling around the world a little bit. And um, in nearly every country that I've been to, European countries predominantly where I've been, they talk about, wow, you know, I, would, I think that my life would definitely be better if I could come to America. And I've seen the desperation in some of these people. One young man that I met one time, he's like, I live with my parents. I'm going to always live with my parents until they pass away because the apartment we have can't afford. I can't afford to find a job that gets me to where I need to be. Um, I was in I was in uh, France and they, at a time that they were uh, protesting against austerity measures. They were going to increase the uh, – the retirement age, mm-hmm. and I was talking to from young, 63 to 60, uh, or 62 to 64. Yeah, and that's what they're talking about now, and this right. is what they were doing like over 10 years ago when I went to Europe, and I asked a young man, I said, why are you, do you care about this? And he's like, well, if, if they don't retire off, then there's not a job for me because they'll move people up to take that position, and then it'll open up a position for me. And, and there's such a fixed pie mentality that if the government doesn't do it, it doesn't happen. So just after that trip, I come back to Arkansas, and I'm driving. I see this cloud of smoke while I'm driving that's going down, down the highway. And it's this old oil-burning pickup truck, and the guy has a piece of plywood on the side that says lawns mowed. And he had a beat-up lawnmower. He had a beat-up weed eater, everything in there. And I pulled up next to him, and I said, dude, you are so cool. <laughs> and he looked at me all puzzled. But that's not that's an american dream achiever person right there okay right. So can we say that perhaps the biggest obstacle right now here in our country is what is the american dream the american dream to some people is being being told equity everybody should have this and this and this and then there's others of us who will tell you that the American dream, that's not what it is. It's the ability to try mm-hmm. to get this and this and this. Well, they're using language against us first. You need to understand that equity and equality are two separate things. And, Absolutely. You know, they've, they're totally using the equity word, to, and people don't think about it because, it's, you know, in their mind it seems it so. equality. That's yeah, what they equality. Hear. And is it not equality of outcome, equality of opportunity mm-hmm. is what we need. And the government is getting in the way of a lot of that. The government impedes people from rising up to mm-hmm. their potential. Yes. So, yeah. and, and I think that that's where Americans for Prosperity comes in is because they're trying to get the government out of the way. The government gets in the way. All of these laws that say, hey, look, you've got to go to a special class to be able to braid hair. At one time, that was the law. Yeah. Yeah. We got rid of that law, thanks. To, uh, at that time, Senator Ballinger. Good for him. I'm yeah. glad that he did that. There's a whole lot more. Do you know that if I go to sports clips, the lady there that cuts my hair can't use a straight razor? Yep. Yeah, you definitely can't. I was in cosmetology, and I know you have to learn all kinds of chemicals. You have to learn. Uh, you have <laughs> to 
actually be cleared to be around people, like have a clearance, like where you're able to be but around people safely? it amazes me. I'd like them to t- – look, <laughs> when I go in, I don't want you to use a pair of clippers to clip my head so I'll be bald, all right? I would <laughs> like it if you take a nice warm towel, put it on my head, lather it up, get out a straight razor, and – and and shave my head she cannot do that or he yeah. cannot do that they no. won't it's against the law you and i don't understand why they either. can't do it because of liability issues because yeah. i can tell you i can tell you that right now i saw a little kid's ear get clipped one time when he was <laughs> jumping around getting his hair cut and i mean yeah. thankfully the mother was you know understanding and she realized what had happened but you know that's a liability issue i mean and we're such a litigious society uh, well, it's a state law. I get, right. uh, you know, I got to wait. Okay. All right. We'll get it after we come back. Shell Hillcrest Designer Jewelry Mother's Day is just around the corner. And uh, I'm going to give you a suggestion, guys, for your wife, who uh, is the mother of your children, uh, for your grandmother, for your mom, you know, that took care of you when you were growing up. Uh, why get? Why not give them a, a, a ring? Uh, like a mom, a Mother's Day ring that has your children's birthstones in it that they can wear and be proud of and show to people and say, yeah, that's from my child that was born in February, you know, so an amethyst and things of that nature. And you can get one made up for that particular person in your life. It doesn't have to be something that you just buy out of the display case. Now you can and buy the design right out of the case and then just have the the stones put into it but if you want something really unique you can get eric to do it but you need to get over and see him now and talk to him about what it is that you're wanting it to be designed to look like uh just go to 3000 cavanaugh suite e in uh, little rock and he'll be happy uh, happy to help you out he's open monday through saturday 10 o'clock in the morning until 6 p.m in the evening and he looks forward to talking to you. Eric designed uh, the uh, piece of jewelry that I gave to my wife and myself for Christmas, which is a Star of David with a cross on it. Uh, did a great job on it, and uh, it's unique. There's nobody else that has one that looks like ours does. But uh, you can get that kind of thing done at uh, with Eric Coleman over at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. I highly recommend him. He's a great guy. And uh, he's a great conservative as well. He has supported this show through advertising on it for uh, many, many years. All right, eight thirty-eight right now. You are going to make a point, uh, uh, Ryan, when I put you put up the the break signs. Well, that was before so, the break. Now, yeah. Now, do you yeah, remember what it was that you wanted to talk about? Oh, well, about? just to, you know, talking about defining know, the American dream. Yeah, defining the American dream. You know, there. Our rights equal protection under the law. That's what allows us all to start from the same same point. Uh, the opportunities that we create. There's just myriads of variables that go into that. You know, just three generations ago, my family were Arkansas uh, tenement farmers. You know, that's my story, and no inheritances have improved my condition. You know, uh, nor do I expect one. But decisions that my parents made to press me to get a better education, uh, to pursue a career, those kind of things made a difference. And so defining the American dream is very difficult to come to one definition because it comes down to 
what each individual can imagine for themselves. And I wish everyone would dream bigger than they probably currently do. Because sometimes when I'm traveling around the state, in particular areas of poverty, what I just see is a lack of vision about what the future could potentially be. And I think that it's incumbent on on our leaders to set a vision for individuals and, and again, reignite within people a desire to pursue a dream that's bigger than what they think are just the cards they've been dealt. You know, um, it's... That's what I think that, that, that we need, is that we need to be very cautious about defining the dream necessarily, but we know that um, you know, part of the, the equity definition, and I deal with, you know, have conversations and relationships with people who are very adamant about the equity definition as it currently stands. But the one thing that I take away from it is that some people need more than others to achieve their dream or that there's not a resource level at which everybody, you know, you just can't define what their needs are. But that's what the beauty of freedom is that once you get a starting point, if everybody can get the equality under the law starting point, then they get to pursue the dream as far as their vision and their talents that they want to develop will take them. Do not de- what I've learned is don't define the dream for people. Let them achieve it on whatever that is on their own. And but, part of the problem we mm-hmm. have, I'm sorry, is is we have a psychological damage to our culture. There's generational, like your parents encouraged you to get an education and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and to live the American dream, reach for it. There are generations of people now at this point who have been on welfare, disability, um, and they know how to play. The, some of them know, are, need it. Some of them know how to play the game because their parents taught them how to play the game, and mm-hmm. that's a way of life. So it's almost a cultural thing that they need to unglue themselves from in their mind and realize mm-hmm. there is something more that they can achieve and a reason to do it. Yeah. That's what I like about what our governor says now. I've been been listening to Sarah and she's doing a good job, I I believe. And where she's talking about she doesn't want to put more people on welfare programs. Right. She wants people to be able to get out and do better for themselves and i'm uh, i'm all about that that that's the american dream that i see mm-hmm. uh, our government since the 60s well really since the late 40s into mm-hmm. the early 50s has uh, taken that from the american people and has told them uh, a, a totally erroneous uh, type of vision of what the future can have. Uh, my dad had a third grade education. You know what his big thing was? Education. Yeah. When I was go- when I was growing up, my father watched our report cards like a hawk. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he knew it was report card time, when right. we hit the door, we better have it in our hand and ready right. to hand it over to us because he saw that as our opportunity. Mm-hmm to better ourselves over what he had. My fa- I wish he was still alive today. I, I grew up in a 400-square-foot home. That's what I grew up in. It was very, very small. My kitchen and my dining room is 400 square foot. All right? I live on, a, on an acre lot on a corner in the, right. in, the, in the subdivision I live in. My father would totally freak out right now <laughs> and would say, you've made the grade, son. Yeah. You're doing great. And then... He could look at his grandchildren, my children, and say, wow, 
Right. They're really doing good, too. Mm-hmm. He'd be proud. He really would. Well, you hit on some things here, though, that, that again, the governor has done a great job on focusing in on. Education. Education. Exactly. Because you need to choose your education. My parents moved to a zip code that they could barely afford the rent in a very, very modest house so that I could get a better education in the state that we that we originally came from. And they sacrificed. And there were times to where... Um, you know, couldn't make the rent, so Dad was able to work with the landlord to do repairs around the house to make the rent work, and and things like that. But but they knew that that would be the best place for me to get an education. No child should or their family should have to make those trade offs between being right. housed and getting an education. And now with the Learns Act, parents are now the number one in control, most important voice in the entire entirety of education system because they are now consumers of education education is not what happens to you it's what you choose and so what has to happen now now there has to be a learning curve Mm -hmm. the learning curve has to be all those people that are living in certain parts of this state that say education isn't important have to come to grips with that education is one of the most important things that you've got to do that will be a job. Yeah. Well, and, and again, it goes to to the point of, though, that people will learn whenever those dollars are theirs to spend, whether they're getting a good deal or not. And they can then demand changes, you know, just in having open enrollment of the public schools in some states to where you could go to whatever public school had a space and a teacher. Schools that were losing students would go to parents and say, hey, why are you leaving? What is it that you're upset about? How can we fix that? And guess what? That improves the quality all the way across the board because they now are being responsive to what parents need because I'm you know I've during this whole process one of the the groups the parents that have been frustrated by going to school board meetings and being shunned or going or being silenced or being uh, you know set on the sidelines about their child's education and their concerns not being being heard that's why parents really stepped up to tell lawmakers the parents were the ones making the phone calls to those lawmakers saying, support this, because here's been my experience of not getting what I've needed for my student. And every time I try to get it redressed, the powers that currently be are always forcing me down on this. Well, guess what? Now the parent is completely in control of what they want to do for their child's education. Now, once you get the education, though, you know, here in Arkansas, according to the Institute for Justice, we rank ninth in combined score for Arkansas occupational licensing and it being onerous on individuals. So out of 102 lower income occupations, Arkansas licenses 72 of those. And this, again, sets up an opportunity for for a burden. If somebody's wanting to get out and, and start a job, they have to get a government permission slip to say that they can do the job. And this, many of these don't have oversights really they you just pay the fee you get the license by making the criteria and then you go off and no one's held accountable that even if somebody does mess up no one on that licensing board is necessarily holding them accountable to that there's no real redress on that um they just say oh there's sometimes bad actors or whatever that may be but it makes it more difficult for people who are trying to get ahead to actually you know make 
make headway economically when there's again they get the barrier has been education i can't get the best education but now let's say that you can well then you go in and say i want to get into the workforce and it could be a lower you know a non uh university degree required job but you have to jump through a ton of hoops and pay five pay fees pay for education i mean how many hours is it for beautician school uh, it depends on state. So uh, I think it was uh, 1,000 hours in one state, 1,500 in another. Yeah, and there's some states that are like 3,000 hours. Right, right. You know, for to be a, a beautician and do hair and things like that. And you have a similar thing in Arkansas and some other places to where you can get one license in another state and it has a lower uh, amount of hours of, of education and study. But here in Arkansas, it can be higher. Uh, again, comparatively speaking, we're we're ninth out of 50 states in the difficulty to get into lower income level careers. So you, we need to look at that and say which of these are serving us well and which of those are not. And in general, they've been used to exclude people out of those industries. All right, we've got to get a break in. We'll come back. We'll continue Dave Ellswick's show here at, uh, of course, one uh, uh, the answer phone number 501-823-0965. Is the American dream dead or is just the people's, you know, understanding of what the American dream is not alive? You tell me, you tell us when we come back. Here is my biggest uh, issue, and uh, I'll take anybody on the air, uh, you know, if you want to call in and argue this point with me. The biggest obstacle to people to get to the American dream is the government. The government gets between you and the uh, American dream constantly. Now, that may be because you want it to. There may be because you don't want it to. But either way, it gets between you and the American dream. It gets between you and what you want to be able to do. It gets between a, a woman who uh, maybe she can make a few extra dollars by in her neighborhood. Look, I remember when my mother used to do this. She gave permanence yeah. to other ladies. They'd come. They'd bring their little boxes with them That's of their, not easy of their of permanence, and she'd set it up. They'd come in. They'd pay her a few extra dollars to put stuff on their hair and stuff. You do that now and get caught, mm-hmm. you go to jail or <laughs> right. you get or you get fined. Yeah. Big time. Because guess what? You don't have a piece of paper stuck on your window uh number 1 that says that you can have a business in your house, number 2 saying that you can uh do permanence uh legally and that is the government getting in your way. And who is it that's putting those up? Businesses that they do permanence. And they don't want you to do a permanent because you take business from them. Right. It's competition. Yeah. And and that is what you hit up against a lot. Now, there's a bill out there right now. Uh, the number is, is failing me. But uh, it is about just being able to rapidly recognize licenses from other states. Because Arkansas, in nearly every category, particularly in the professional license categories, we are needing more people, electricians, HVAC, more of the blue collar. But we haven't been recognizing licenses from other states. Well, now there's a bill that's made it, making its way through the, um, I think went through the Senate, now going to the House, that would just say, hey, we can, we will rapidly get these individuals in. So I was at a restaurant. My waiter and I got in conversation. He's a chiropractor. 
from Texas. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you waiting tables? Well, because it's going to take six months to a year for me to get my chiropractic license in Arkansas because I have to go through all the tests and things that I just passed in Texas and meet the criteria that I just passed in Texas. But because of some nuances, I have to go through this process all again. So here's a chiropractor that we need to be doing work that is, that is waiting tables. And this is no good to our economy. It's a wasted gross domestic product for our state. And there are people out there in pain on lists because he's not able to get immediately into the profession that he's trained to be involved well, in. I had a doctor that actually was from Mexico that came here. He was a sports medicine doctor in Mexico and came here and had mm-hmm. and did pain management because he couldn't get into the uh, sports medicine field you know, right. because of his cr- credentials are different. Well, one of the, one of the carve-out amendments from this bill was that it did not include medical, which we really need. We need more professionals in medicine in every single county in in Arkansas, but they don't want to let someone who is licensed in another state come here and immediately start practicing. And that has nothing to do with just the protections because they're, they have this, you know, and it's even about good standing. They don't have any complaints against them. All that is accounted for in the bill, but it, it's again, just a protectionist thing. And Milton Friedman, Great, great economist that that we love to to talk about uh, at Americans for Prosperity talked about that. That eventually, what it becomes is that the insiders try to exclude the outsiders. That's exactly right. And and that's take a look at Arkansas healthcare and how much we need, and then look at how many barriers are put in place for us not being able to access. Perfect it. example of this was uh, a few years ago, where if you were a dentist, you couldn't clean teeth. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> No, seriously. They wouldn't let them clean teeth because they didn't uh, have the requirements of the the ones that were cleaning teeth had set up to get the license to be able to clean teeth. Oh, wow. It was crazy. It's a haves and have not situation. So they, they were working hard to keep those other people out from being able to do it because it took some of their business Mm -hmm. away. It's, it's the same. Look, corporatism, is a much larger scale of this. Yes. Let's, let's look at health care. Who wrote a good portion of Obamacare? Do you know? Walmart. Oh, I did read about that. Walmart did. And let me tell you what happened. Walmart wrote it in such a way that there were, there were things that you could do, but you could be fined for if you didn't do it a certain way. Well, they went ahead and signed on for that because they know if they got fined, they could absorb the fine. Guess who couldn't? Smaller businesses. Target. Yeah. And they were trying to put Target out of business. So, again, government being used to exclude people from the marketplace. And we should all be against that. We should all be against that. Business should not be allowed to use government to prop up itself or its profits or or eliminate its competition. Weaponize. You know, and so something, though, that has happened, I would point this out, is that Arkansas has made some strides uh, in improving health care. There was a bill uh, last session, actually a series of bills out there last session, that allowed for nurse practitioners to gain full practice authority. So they... When you go to the doctor now, more than likely you're not meeting a doctor, particularly on some primary care. You're meeting a nurse practitioner. It's been that way in the military forever. Yeah, and right. so you had um, uh, 
you had bills last year, and I'm trying to find out, trying to remember which one the bill numbers were. But I know that uh, Representative Lee Johnson was a part of that bill, to where, and he's a he's an ER doctor, and that allows for nurse practitioners who are able to work at a lower price point than a doctor That's and right. could potentially get into to more rural areas to practice primary right. care medicine. It would allow them the opportunity to do that without having to pay a doctor for for the privilege of doing that to where what we found out is that doctors were looking over a very limited random sample of charts and then saying, oh, yeah, these are good. These are not. They weren't really on a consultation basis. You know, it wasn't a consulting basis necessarily. And so that being recognized, they will have a pathway to autonomy, which means that in rural areas, it could be that I'm a nurse practitioner that comes from a small town and I want to go to my small town and help with primary care. Well, now my overhead for doing that is a lot less because I'm not having to pay those those fees, those consultation fees. So making some progress. Got news coming up. Then we'll come back. Uh, Ryan's going to stick around. You going to stick around, Simone? I'll stick around. All right. You're going to be around. I think Seth uh, uh, Mays may be coming by. If he is, you'll be here as well. I'll be here for sure as well on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Ryan Norris is here, of course, from Americans for Prosperity, Arkansas Chapter. Simone's here. And joining us, somebody who hasn't been with us since uh, Doyle Webb was running for uh, lieutenant governor, Seth Mays is here. He's now executive director of the Republican Party. That's well, it. How's that change your whole uh, viewpoint of uh, politics in Arkansas? Or as I say, I just work there. You know? <laughs> okay. So, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a great job working at the state party, and we, have a, we always have a lot going on. It's sort of from one thing to the next, but you really have to keep multiple thoughts and, and ideas moving at the same time, be it a national convention next year or candidate recruitment and filing, which will take place this year, and then, of course, the session that we're in right now. So there's lots of moving targets. A lot of good things going on. Our governor is doing better than a lot of people expected, isn't she? Well, it depends where your expectations were. I think well, my expectations were always high, and she's met them and exceeded, in fact. Yeah. No, I think it uh, it's great to have a conservative leader nationally as governor. I think the people like the action they're seeing out of the governor's office, uh, painting again in the bold colors and not the pale pastels. And I think that's what people want. That's certainly what they voted for. Yeah. Well, what to, have I said for the last eight years? I wanted boldness. Now I got it, and I'm liking it. And yep. I'm liking Learns Act, uh, what, what uh, the governor has done with that. I'm uh, excited what I'm hearing about uh, going on about uh, uh, crime and, and what they want to do with that. Um, I'm excited about a lot of different things that, are, that the the, uh, the Republicans are doing because I'm beginning to feel like the Republicans are actually acting like Republicans now. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that takes executive leadership. And so a change in, in an executive in Suite 250 there in the governor's office can make a huge difference. And I think what's so encouraging is the issues, the major issues that the state party is behind, that the governor's office is leading on, uh, that leaders in both chambers of House and Senate are leading on, educational school choice, a tax cut, criminal justice reform. These are all issues that are in our platform. We, it just takes somebody to lead on those issues and, and take the bold action that we need. Yeah, that's what I was I was warning people who were Republicans. And I said, remember, you ran on the platform. You know, the whole thing about education reform is part of the Republican platform. Right. You, you fight this at your peril. 
you know. Being yeah. bold will attract what we want, too, which is, is it's almost like an outreach in itself because people stand up and notice, oh, they're doing something. They're trying to reform this. You know, yeah, I can get behind them rather than just people going to meetings and chit-chatting among themselves and no one notices any differences being made or any differences between the two parties, really, until they... Especially when they start understanding right. the changes that are being made. Mm-hmm. That's what's really important, yeah. and you know that, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, what's so awesome, again, about LEARNS is that the the power in education has shifted from the establishments and the administrator to the parent. Let me tell my story, all right? There was a meeting going on, and it was uh, a meeting that was happening within the caucus. And somebody said, well, you know, the superintendents aren't going to like this. (laughs) And the person who is the facilitator of the meeting, I won't say who it is. I know who it is, but I won't say who it was, held up their hands and said, who said we were talking about the superintendents? We're talking about the students. Mm -hmm. Right. People don't realize that was a 180 shift right. in the way we were approaching yeah. education at that point. Well, and you think about the teachers' unions. I mean, they've never been focused on students, but it's kind of in their name what their focus That's is. That's right. <laughs> supposed to be. Right. Supposed they're to very be. different apart when it comes down to it, what their goals are and their outlook and what they're reaching towards and whose rights they're trying to protect. They're yeah. very far apart. So now we can agree on all this. Now let's talk about we've got the districts all meeting and having mm-hmm. their their uh, their meetings. Uh, uh, one and two agreed on one thing, and that was that uh, we need closed primaries mm-hmm. in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that for years. Yeah, that we yeah. need to, you know that. Sure. Seth has known me forever. All right. He was a zygote when I met him. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I, I've known Seth for a long time. Bottom line is I've been arguing this point for a long time. I've been ar- I argue with Doyle Webb when he was the chairman mm-hmm. of the party. I'd argue with the chairman today that we need him. And it looks like uh, in the districts that they're starting to pull that direction as well. Do you see that being a big deal when we have the uh, uh, the state party meetup? Yeah. I, it's something that the state party has considered resolutions on in the past. I think ultimately – it, it, it's going to come down to a legislative act. I mean, that's been the position of the state party. I think we could put in our rules any requirement we want for somebody to be a candidate for office or for somebody to vote in our primary. Uh, we could say you have to to pat your stomach and rub your head at the same time, you know, to vote. That but, might be good, too. But what <laughs> requires then, I don't know that the Americans with Disability Act would, would protect us on that. Right. But, uh, but what then uh, requires the Secretary of State's office or county clerks, right, the folks who are, are helping administer the State Board of Election Commissioners who are administering these elections, what requires them to comply with anything we stick in our rules? Nothing. And that's why it's been our position that it's something that needs to be changed in statute. But it's something we're supportive of. And I think the only question that remains is just how exactly we go about enacting that into action. As you probably know, Dave, 89 percent of Arkansas voters aren't registered I know. With, with either party. Right. And I so I think it that. will require a massive re-registration process on the party's part to make sure that uh, folks realize that. I, I would probably guess if you went just with those numbers, 89 percent, even into our county committees, you will find people who are not registered with the Republican Party, yet it's the only primary they've voted in for over a decade. I remember when I first registered to vote, and I've I've never voted for a Demo- I've never voted for a non-Republican candidate in any race ever. Uh, but I remember in going to register, I 
didn't I intentionally did not register with the party because my college libertarian streak thought the government right. had no right to know who I associated with. Uh-huh. And, and I wasn't going to have any government document that said, <laughs> now I've since changed that and, and uh, more than happy to register that way. But some people just don't do that. And I think the concern, fear, substitute whatever word you want in there is what happens to let's make up an individual, Bob Smith. He lives in Mountain Home. He's 70 years old. He's only ever voted Republican primaries, but he's not registered that way. And then we're going to try and convince him he needs to go back down to the county clerk's office, take the same voter registration form. There's one box at the top for a party change. Check that box, fill out the rest of his information, and turn it in. I know some folks that just probably aren't going to do that. And then when Bob Smith shows up to vote and is told, oh, sir, you're not a Republican, since when? I mean, in his mind, that's not true, right? And so it it will require a massive voter education effort on behalf of the state party and county parties. And we're happy to do that work, but we're going to need people in that in that fight with us, right? Yeah, and I, I'm all about that, and I understand what you're saying, but I think that it's a fight that's worth fighting just to keep people from running in my party that are not Republican. Sure, sure, agree. Yep. That's simple. You know, you're going to lead the uh, Lone Oak County voter registration efforts for us. <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> you never know. I might be willing to do that. 14 minutes after 9, Seth Mays is here. He's the executive director. What's the biggest, uh, toughest part about this? as far as you're concerned? Well, sometimes it is hurting cats and dogs uh, and, and just the interpersonal fights. Uh, just cats is bad enough. Right, cats right. Cats and dogs. But with the dogs, really too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it's a lot of just some of the, you know, sometimes I say I feel less like we're leading a political party, and sometimes it's like a seventh-grade student council election. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that goes on. So just cutting through personalities and realizing that at the end of the day we're focused on policy. Right. I mean, Chairman Highland's been big on saying, you know, a political party in and of itself doesn't have a lot of inherent value. It's a vehicle by which we advance policy. And so at the end of the day, that's what we're here to push. We're here to push learns. We're here to make sure that violent repeat offenders serve the majority of their sentence, if not all of it. And we're here to uh, cut taxes. Right. And if this party weren't about those things, we're just having a breakfast club aside from that. So it's, it's a lot of the personal stuff that is the hardest to deal with. And then aside from that, just structurally, you know, as we look to next year, there will be a national convention. We have a presidential election coming in up. In Wisconsin. That's right, in Milwaukee. And, uh, but all of that planning has to happen, right, before thousands of people are in an arena Correct. With, where the balloons drop and people are cheering and, you know, a president and vice president come on the stage and wave, you know. I mean, it, there's a lot of work yeah, that goes Hi- in. Highland's going to spend a lot of time in uh, Wisconsin this yes, year. Yes, <laughs> yes, we will. And, in fact, here in August we'll actually have our first debates in Milwaukee at the summer RNC meeting. <laughs> That we'll be going to, and that may seem like a long ways away, but it's August not is a not. long. No, that's very. You know, twenty twenty four is not as far away as people feel that yeah. it is. It is much closer than what you think. Yes, it two is. more years of Biden seems like a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's part that's, that's of the very, problem. That's very true. That's absolutely true. So, are are you finding more people in Arkansas leaning towards the right, uh, uh, Seth, because of Biden and about what he's doing? I think that is. We hear lots of comments of folks that say, you know, listen, no matter where you are on the spectrum, and I sort of agree with our governor in her response to the State of the Union, it's not really left and right near as much as crazy versus normal now, it seems. Uh, And and we hear that comment from a lot of folks that, listen, it doesn't matter whether you voted for Biden or not. We have a president who just clearly isn't up to the job. Vice president who who somehow has his is worse than that, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I do think folks are awake to that, and I think they're ready for change. And so we're going to go into this primary process, and as we always encourage in all primary 
you know, processes, go for the candidate that you want. But when we come out of that, whoever it will be, you know, I'm, I'm of a mind we could end up with kind of like 2016, a dozen candidates. Uh, I'm with you on this. There may be a big debate stage yeah. on both parties, to, sure. be exact, to be exact. Yeah, well, I don't think the Democrats are – yeah, the Democrats don't want to come out against Biden right now. They come out against Kamala. They're racist and sexist. So – and, you know, not not for shattering glass ceilings and everything else, but I, I do think that secretly they wish they had an alternative that was palatable. And right now it's so obvious – to not only this country but to the world who our president is Mm -hmm. and the problems we have in this nation and he elevates these problems and in a way that may be the spark that that turns people into action because it's going to be a necessity that we we get out we talk to people we get them to change their vote we find out have you make sure voting isn't is fair make sure we don't have cheating in our elections and find out the different tricks that the Democrats use and either figure out how to use them or make them illegal and find out a way to go against the cheating that they're inevitably going to do. And like the voter ballot harvesting. pretty good, huh? Yeah. Different (laughs) things like that. I mean, there's a lot of things we really need to reach out for. So Biden, you know, a lot of people think, can we survive two more years of this? But we're going to have there to. needs to be there and there's no other, you know, there's no other choice. But I hope and I, but Mike Lindell mentioned this, too, that this could be part of a greater plan that sparks a revel, a peaceful revolution into people really awakening up because we've just gone along to get along for so long that we haven't realized what freedoms we've given up along the way. All right, so we've got about two minutes. I'm just going to ask real quickly of you, Seth. What are are we looking at as far as uh, the party as a whole, national party, looking at flipping Congress totally as far as I saw where the uh, Republicans had identified 27 seats Mm -hmm. in the House that they thought were in play for 2024. What are they seeing for the Senate? Well, and the Senate map uh, going into 2024 is probably the best Senate map that we've had in years. But I'll caution, of course, we thought the map two years ago was phenomenal. I say two years ago, the last election cycle. Right. Uh, But the map, when you look at the number of red state or purple state Democrats who are on the ballot, I mean, our most competitive races that we on the Republican side are looking at holding are Florida and Texas. So I think we're going to be okay on our side. We should be. Uh, we've got to got to make sure we still do the work there, especially in Florida, because Democrats will be will be trying to flip those. But when you look on the Democratic side, they have uh, John Tester in Montana is up. You have Joe Manchin in West Virginia. They've got a senator in Wisconsin who's also on the ballot. So there are more, far more opportunities for us to pick up. I really don't think there are any opportunities for Democrats to make to make inroads, right, to cut against losses and, and give up a seat, say, in West Virginia or Montana. And so I, I think the Senate map is very encouraging into 2024. And, of course, that has down-ballot effects on congressional races in those same states, right? All right. We'll be back with Seth. We'll be back with Simone. We'll be back with – with uh, Ryan as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 20 minutes after 9, here at 101 uh, FM, the uh, answer. Don't forget about ICU protection and what Billy Mack is doing with ICU. If you want real security for your home, and look, I, I didn't think I needed security protection until last year, and, you know, uh, killings have gone up, burglaries have gone up, just wanton violence has gone up. 
uh, around our, our state. And so I thought, you know, I'm away from home quite often. I want to make sure my, uh, my house is safe. I want to make sure my wife is safe. And, yeah, sometimes I even worry about my dog. You know, I want to make sure that he's safe. So uh, I talked to Billy Mack, and Billy Mack and I uh, came to agreement on we got all the door and window sensors in. We got uh, some cameras on my house. And now I, uh, when I'm gone, if anything happens, immediately it turns up on my, my smartphone. I know if something is not right, and I can react to that. Uh, law enforcement can react to that, and uh, I, I feel a lot better about that, about my home. You can feel that way about your uh, business as well because they do the same things for your business. Remember that ICU protection uh, that is owned by Billy Mac takes care of Nuke 1, and I always tell you if they can take care of a nuclear reactor, they can take care of your living room. Uh, know also that when you sign up with the folks at ICU, all of those sensors they put in, all of those cameras they put in, you don't pay for them. You don't have to pay a big price up front. A lot of the others, like ADT and others, you you got to pay three, $400 in a check, not with ICU. Call them, get with Billy Mack, let him run you through the whole process. 501-205-1333. That's ICU Protections. Okay, let's continue on because I only have set bottom of the hour right yep you got to leave i got to get back to the farm going to be on the you got to be on the clock is that what you're telling that's it yeah (laughs) there's a lot well yesterday we were on the road some the chairman and i were down in camden tonight we're in springdale thursday i'm in whitehall wow Uh, that's a long drive to get up to springdale for tonight it is well and camden's not all all that shorter you know too so uh, just got to take care of things at the office Why there are office hours, you know. And you know, I've had him on already, and, and it's, I, I think he's, I think Cody's going to do a great job. I've known him ever since he's over in Conway uh, as a prosecuting attorney over there. Yeah. And, and he's he's the real deal, and I think that he's got the party uh, in in the best of mind, and he's he's going to be bold, too, I believe. Oh, for sure, for sure. He is not a uh, shrinking violet at all, and— you know, I've worked now for a national chair when I was in D.C. at the RNC, and we still got to work then because I worked in media. And so booking regional radio was one of those things that Man, that we, we did. did a lot of business together, Yes, we did. We? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. It was so, good. And then I've worked for three state chairs, too, of the state party, which might be, you know, more than anybody. And they all three had very distinct ways about how they even approached the office, right, and, and what the vision was. And it's not to say any of those are or right over the other. I think it's depending on the time, too, that somebody is serving as a chair and what the state of that party is. Uh, you know, this chairman's different from the other two I worked with. And as what we talked about at the beginning of the hour, a difference in executive leadership makes a big difference as well. Uh, and so they each have their own style. And uh, I'm just happy to do what I can to be a part of pushing forward that policy agenda. How is it for you with you got, uh, you know, you got your chairman now who is brand new and then the chairman that you worked for in Doyle Webb, who was the longest running chairman in the United States at the time. How is that different? It's different. So when I came to work for Doyle, you know, I sort of think of Doyle in 20, you know, 16, right, when I first interned at the state party is going to be different than a Doyle in 2009, yeah. right, when you're just coming off the heels of the Obama election. He was elected in December of 08. Doyle is Obama in November of 08. 
and you have Bibi in the governor's office, you know, who said if, if, if any business entity is giving to the Republican Party of Arkansas, you are not welcome in the governor's office. All right. Let me let me have you repeat that. Would you mm-hmm. please repeat that? Uh, Mike Beebe, by the way, who, of course, what uh, is served, he doing now? who served in the state Senate with Doyle Webb. Oh, he's not governor well. anymore, is he? Right. Okay, go right. ahead. <laughs> and, uh, but that's what he said at the time, was if you are a donor, if you're a contributor to the Republican Party of Arkansas, you are not welcome in the governor's office. And so then you fast forward to 2016, uh, when you know I come to intern at the party, and, and we are on this ascendant swing with majorities. I, I think even that, right, is a different chairman from that day mm-hmm. to the next. Um, Cody brings sort of that outsider perspective, right, as a a United States attorney appointed by President Trump, confirmed by the U.S. Senate. That's just a different structure, and it's very lawyerly, lawyer-esque, whatever the right word is, which Doyle was as well. There's just the difference with his state. Because he's a lawyer, too. Sure, sure. And so uh, it's it's a a no-nonsense style of working, which having worked at the RNC, I mean, it's very much that way, too, in D.C., so... I sort of like that faster pace, keep the trains moving, no nonsense as we talked about when there are personal squabbles or whatever. I just don't have the time for that. There are, there are other things to be done, the things that we all signed up to do, right? All right, 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhonda's still in. Rhonda McDaniel. Still right. in the head. How does that work out for us? So Rhonda is the best fundraiser we've ever had at the RNC. And so as we go into a presidential cycle, I think there's something to be said for that. She's gone through a convention year as well. So logistically planning, putting on that production, I think all of that works in our favor. Obviously, there's a problem with the base, which the chairwoman has acknowledged. And back in January when she was elected, she said, look, this is going to be the last term. So we go back and win the White House. Even if I'm asked to serve, then this is it. This will be my last term. And it's to keep us on a steady flow to get there. At the end of the day, I do not think anybody is voting based on who the chair of the party is. They're voting on the nominee. And that's why that process is so important. Seth, we'll catch you down the line. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.